Chapter 20 of The Spanish Cavalier by Charlotte Maria Tucker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Esther Ben Simonides. Chapter 20 An Idol on Its Pedestal. In the spacious garden attached to the governor's house were gathered together some of the gayest and most fashionable of those who moved in the higher circles of Seville. The party had been invited to celebrate with dance, song, and feasting the birthday of the governor's only daughter. The garden was a little paradise in which nature and art seemed to outlie each other in offering attractions to eye, ear, and taste. Lopez, who, with his daughter, had visited the great exhibition in Paris, had brought back ideas of French magnificence to add new adornments to a place which, for beauty and elegance, had before been unrivaled in Seville. Exotics from various countries blended with the splendid plants indigenous to Andalusia, making the parterres one flush of brilliant hues. Italian statues adorned gilded fountains that threw up scented waters to sparkle in the sun. Here, under the shade of orange trees, ladies listened to the strains of some manly voice, accompanied by the tinkling guitar. There the fandango was danced on a velvet turf, while clattering castanets kept time. Servants in gorgeous liveries carried about ices shaped in the forms of fruits, or costly luxuries brought from the most distant parts of the world. Others followed with wine, such as were to be found in no cellars in Seville, save that of the wealthy governor, who was as lavish in expending his money as he was unscrupulous in acquiring it. The centre of the brilliant circle, the observed of all observers, and the magnet which drew to itself the admiration of every cavalier present. Donna Antonia stood like the queen of beauty, surrounded by satellites that only shone in the light of her smile. Antonia concentrated in herself the charms for which the women of Andalusia are famous. Hers were the lustrous almond-shaped eyes, the luxuriant hair, the exquisite form whose every moment is the perfection of grace. Perhaps to the eye of an artist, Antonia would have appeared to more advantage in the picturesque long white robe and lace veil of the Spanish costume than in the dress of the newest Parisian fashion with which she had chosen to replace him. But let her wear what she might, Antonia in any garb must have been acknowledged to be the most beautiful woman in Seville, and no one was more aware of the fact than herself. No expense had been spared in showing off her beauty. The arms and neck of the governor's daughter were loaded with splendid jewels, and a circlet of brilliant sparkled round her bow. It was to be expected that such a subject of interest as the arrest of Don Alcala de Aguilera should afford a topic for gossip amongst members of fashionable circles, as well as amongst the poorer inhabitants of Seville. Even the cavalier's late adventure in the bull-ring had scarcely been a more exciting, and therefore delightful, theme. There was not a group in the gay garden of Lopez de Rivadeo where Alcala's imprisonment did not form a thread in the web of light converse, a thread variously colored, according to the temper of the speakers, by disapproval, contempt, or pity. The appearance, at least, of the noble Hidalgo was familiar to all the guests of Antonia, and every one, more or less, took some interest in his fate. I always declared my conviction that de Aguilera would sink lower and lower after he degraded himself by stooping to serve an English mechanic, observed a stit-backed don, who had himself not been above begging and pleading the customs and enforcing his plea by a bribe. I'd have blown out my brains before I'd have done that, exclaimed a young Spanish officer, twirling the end of his splendid moustache. De Aguilera took almost as sort of method of cutting a life knot when he rode spear in hand to Plaza de Toros, observed a stately duenna. I admired his daring, Mr. Pretty Young charged. One likes to see the knightly spirit flash forth, and if Donald Cal had been slain in the arena, one could only have said that it was a pity that so brave and handsome a caballero should have come to such an untimely end. But only think of a Spanish hidalgo being carried off to a common prison on such a charge as might be preferred as against some book-hawking peddler. Or a wretched heretic from Tortamara, rest his soul, would have sent to the stake, joined in the stern-faced duenas. Harris must be be put down observed the don who had first spoken with a frown which might have assumed the grand inquisitor himself this spanish gentleman who so strongly condemned what he termed heresy had himself no faith in any religion whatever 
"'One pities Don Alcala's sister,' said the younger lady. "'I rather like looks, though she never carried herself with the dignity of an Aguilera, "'and as for her dress, she, for one, seemed to think that Spanish ladies were born "'in the frightful mantilla, veil, and high comb worn by their mothers, "'and must carry them, as birds to their feathers, to the end of their lives.' "'It need scarcely be mentioned that the fair speaker, like Antonia, "'had adopted a fashionable Parisian costume, and wore her hair in the impetatrice style. "'A cavalier with obsequious reverence, such as he might have shown to the Queen Isabella herself, was presenting to Donna Antonia the fan which she had dropped when one of her servants approached her, and in a low tone informed his mistress that the lady who called herself Donna Inez de Aguilera asked a few minutes of private audience with the senorita. Donna Inez de Aguilera, exclaimed Antonia, in a tone that expressed curiosity rather than pity, is she waiting in her carriage without? The senorita is on foot and unattended, said the lackey, scarcely suppressing a smile. Antonia laughed, such a light gay laugh, and the sycophants around her echoed the tones of her mirth. Donna Inez doubtless comes to entreat my intercession for the caballero, her brother, said the cavalier's daughter. Would it not be like a scene out of some French romance if we were to see this demoiselle errant humbling herself to play a supplicant here? And forgetting, or rather disregarding Inez's request that the audience might be private, Antonia bade her servant introduce the senorita into the crowded garden. Purposely or not, Antonia moved a few steps to a place where a slight elevation of the ground gave her a raised position, such as might have afforded by a dais, and her flatterers formed behind her a semicircle which might have graced the court of a queen. There was a smile of conscious triumph in the lips of the governor's daughter. The house of Aguilera was older by three centuries than that of Rodeo, and the sea a descendant of one of the conquerors of the Moors reduced to implore a boon in the presence of so many spectators was a gratification to the mean and generous pride of Antonia. There mingled also with that pride a spirit of petty revenge. Inez had once been invited to a party at the governor's house, and the invitation had not been accepted. There had been various reasons for the refusal of Inez to appear in the great assembly, one of the most potent among them being the lack of a suitable dress. But Antonio imagined but one. The heiress of de Rivadero thought herself slighted by a proud descendant of heroes, and deeply resented the slight. Inez de Aguilera is the only woman in Seville who would not have thought herself honoured by my invitation, Antonia had observed to one of her numerous sycophants, and the haughty girl had added the bitter remark. She may live to repent her folly. Antonia now deemed that the time for such repentance had come. Inez, whose natural timidity had been increased by habits of seclusion, felt as if she would fain have sunk into the earth when, on being conducted into the garden, she saw what an ordeal was before her. After all that she had suffered during that terrible day, might she not have been spared the mental torment of facing alone such a crowd of spectators? But still the weak and weary one felt that mysterious sustaining power which led her gently on, like the support of a father's arm. Inez lifted up her heart in that short ejaculatory prayer which has been beautifully described with the golden link between earth and heaven. Then Inez remembered her brother, and self was almost forgotten. With the meek dignity of sorrow, the lady followed the servant, and feelings of compassion for her were awakened even in the worldly hearts. An elderly Castilian cavalier came forward, and with the profoundest respect offered his escort to the desolate girl. Antonio was annoyed on witnessing this little act of courtesy, more especially so as the Castilian's rank made him one of the stars of her party. "'We are much flattered by the appearance of our festival of Don Inez de Aguilera,' said Antonio with ironical politeness, as Inez approached the raised place where the governor's daughter stood to receive her. "'To what happy chance may we owe this somewhat unexpected gratification?' All the courtly throngs had found so profound that Inez's low answer was heard distinctly. I come, Don Inez, to entreat you to procure some, some alleviation for the trial of my brother. He has been accused by his own false servant, a servant who has lately robbed him, 
and who, by this cruel means, hopes to shield himself from the pursuit of his master. "'And what would you have me do in this matter?' interrupted Antonio. "'Would you expect me to hunt out the robber, who was doubtless tempted by the hordes of wealth possessed, as we all know well, by the family of de Aguilera? I am neither Corregidor nor Alguazil, and must beg to make over the request to the officers of the law.' Inez resumed her pleading, as if the insolent taunt were unnoticed by her. "'My brother Don Alcala is still very weak from the effects of a wound received from the Plaza de Toros.' Cavalier's sister laid an emphatic stress on the name of the place. "'This day my brother was carried off to a prison. The hardships and sufferings to which he will be there exposed may cost him his life. I only ask for your intercession that Don Alcala may be suffered to return to his house, and remain, if need be, a prisoner there on parole, till the strictest search may be made into his conduct. I am certain,' the sister unconsciously warmed as she spoke, "'I am certain that such search will only prove that Don Alcala has acted nobly.' Donna Inez comes to plead rather like one demanding a due than suing for favor, said the sarcastic Antonio, and Aguilera must needs have a claim to our utmost exertions. Even to hint that our intercession must be acceptable must just seem unnecessary to the pride of a sister. Pride, echoed the wondering Inez, to whom her own position appeared to exclude such an idea. Pride, she repeated passionately, when I would go on my knees to obtain the liberty of Alcala? Scarce did I suspect even to save his life, said the governor's daughter. As if by a sudden impulse Inez sank on her knees, if that humiliation would win a protectress for Alcala, even to that which she stooped. Antonia glanced with a proud smile, first on Inez, and then round to her guests. This was a chronic triumph indeed. Rise, Donna Inez de Aguilera, said the governor's daughter after a pause. I am sorry that I cannot, even in your behalf, break the vow which I have made under no circumstances whatever to interfere with my father's administration of justice. Some of the spectators could scarcely repress the exclamation of, Shame! as Inez rose from her knees, redly pale but perfectly calm. The screen had, as it were, been withdrawn from before the idol they had worshipped, and they had had a glimpse of the moral hideousness which may lie under the veil of outward beauty. May you, Donna Antonia, never know what it is to ask for mercy in vain, murmured Inez, and without uttering another word she turned to depart. Many of those present would willingly have shown the poor maiden's sympathy and done her service, but dared not come forward to do so under the eyes of the tyrant. The Castilian alone, with lofty courtesy, accompanied the lady to the gate and beyond it. His escort was of no small comfort to Inez. She had not to pass alone through the gazing throng of servants who were without the garden, and closing, awaiting the departure of the guest of the governor's daughter. "'May I have the honour of summoning the courage of Donna Inez de Aguilera?' asked her courteous protector, bowing low as he spoke. "'No, senor, I will return as I came,' murmured Inez faintly, and thanks. Thanks. He could not add more, but turned from her pitying conductor, and went on her lonely way. But Inez could not walk for. The excitement of hope sustained her no longer. No strength of further effort remained. Weights of lead seemed to cling to the poor girl's feet. There was a rushing sound in her ears as if the ocean were near. Mist gathered before the eyes of Inez, dimming the brilliant sunshine which yet flouted the city. The Spanish maiden had painful difficulty in breathing, and to get air intuitively threw back her veil. As she did so, the voice of one who was about to pass her in the street added her name in a tune of surprise. Fainting girl was only able to recognize the speaker ere her powers completely gave way, and she would have fallen to the ground in a swoon but for the supporting arms of Lucius Lapine. End of chapter twenty. Recording by Esther Simonides.